Hi guys and welcome back to the Two Cents Fifty Podcast. You've got myself, JP and Jeff for episode number 11. Guys, how are we doing today? Yeah, a little bit croaky-throated, but um, other than that, pretty good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. Jeff, how's the frog in your throat? Um, very froggy, full of French toad. So yeah, I need some, any lem sip from any listener would be amazing, please. Yeah, I'm all lem sipped up as well. <laughs> yeah, tis the season and it cold and flu's all out there as we uh, get closer to that Christmas period. Uh, well, I hope you boys are feeling better after the pod, but for now, we've got some recording to do. We've got some football to talk about. Um, what's on the agenda this week? Um, minor detail of Everton being docked some points. I think we'll start with that one. Thoughts, chaps. Uh, Ten-point deduction for a financial-related breach for a club that's not Man City or Chelsea. Um, are we shocked? Are we not? Yeah, um, it was a bit of a shock, I think. I mean, I think we knew they were kind of in like financial difficulties and, and troubles in general with Everton, but come out with a, a points deduction was a bit out of the blue. Um, sort of hearing... A little bit more about it. it seems to be related to their stadium payments which is even more bizarre in the fact that it's not really a sporting advantage in terms of they haven't it's not because they've bought in a ex- load of expensive players and have been made a huge loss because of it um it seems to be down to the stadium which yeah, it's strange and very out of the blue. It kind of feels like it. The they're sort of the the smaller club is being picked on when we know there's other things going on with some other teams such as Man City's, Chelsea's, probably Newcastle. <laughs> and um, there's no bias or agenda against that last yeah, one, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no bias at all. Um, so yeah, it's. Yeah, very strange from my point of view. Um, very out of the blue, yeah. Out of the blue, very good pun indeed as well. I like that. <laughs> yes, what are your thoughts? So it feels like it's in the run-up to this independent regulator of all fun things. I'm sure we've all read the 99-page white paper <laughs> on the toilet. And uh, it's mainly in due to the quantity of losses that they've had. Uh, you know, in the 21-22 season, so approaching, what, 20 million. And yeah, to JP's point, it does seem disproportionately harsh. And But also in the tandem, they do have this major stadium expense, uh, which is causing probably quite huge overhead. And, you know, on in tandem, they, they could also have made some rash decisions when it comes to the transfer market. I think there was some word about Richarlison's transfer. Uh, you know, I guess didn't quite yield the revenue that they were looking for. But yeah, this is definitely disproportionate, but it could also rally them again uh, back, especially with Sean Dyche. So yeah, if very harsh, even though they've appealed, it's immediate and Again, yeah, it just feels like it's in the run-up to the to the independent regulator. And yeah, then John, Jeff, what do you reckon? Yeah. 
Jeff, you made a good point around, was it, it was around that £120 million loss, um, which is yeah. why they got deducted points. And you still see teams like Chelsea who are offering player contracts for like eight years on ridiculous money. It's like, well, actually, is that now a loophole to stop that that loss within that, that chunk of time? Where if it's spread over that eight years, it means it's less of a loss within that it, within that time period. It, it is. It's, it's accounting treatment. <clears throat> the difference of how this one's being sought versus the... Uh... The Chelsea incident, I think, is how the Chelsea contracts are being handed out over seven or eight-year periods, as you mentioned. It means you amortise it out over that eight-year period. So the cost of the player is effectively spread over those eight years as well. Um, Everton apparently needs some better accountants and some better lawyers, is what I'm sort of seeing from this, which is, you know, it's a shame because then it just shows you the point that Money's the problem here, and money's also the solution for uh, the likes of City and Chelsea as well. So, now, I've, I've mentioned a few times on the pod and off the pod as well. Everton spent a lot of money recently um, over the last few years, and I don't think they spent it very well as well. Um, the interesting thing is that City have also spent a lot of money. Uh, United have spent a lot of money. Chelsea have. You, the list is as, as long as your arm. To be honest with you, I think most Premier League either made a loss or been close to it a few times in the last few years, but within the realms of what's allowed. Um, it is interesting that Everton have been the first team to be punished um, as part of this ongoing or this new regulation that's going to be coming in. Um, but they're not the first team to be docked points in Premier League history. Uh, we were chatting off the pod and between us, we did manage to get all three of them, uh, including Everton. So, JP, the one that you guessed, Middlesbrough, do you um, remember what it was? was Yep, so that was Millsborough. Three points deduction for, I believe they weren't able to field a full squad due to, was it sickness or Ill, yeah. an illness going around? Um, and there wasn't any proof that they could prove it to whoever they needed, I guess the Premier League or Division 1 or whatever. So, um, yeah, got deducted three points that game and ended up getting relegated by two points. So <laughs> it was fatal for them. <laughs> It's yeah, storyline stuff really, isn't it? And it's quite gutting. They they thought that they were um, sort of the the Premier League were on board with their decision of not being able to field a team and whatnot. And then it turned out that they didn't have the proof and they were deducted points for it. And as you say, it cost them. So very good. And then Jeff, I'll pass it over to you. Uh, a club that's close to all three of our hearts, or a city rather yeah. close to all three of our hearts. The hallowed realm of Pompey. The hallowed realm of Pompey was indeed. Um, back in 2010, I believe it was, with the nine-point deduction for financial-related difficulties. I think there'd been some ongoing rumblings for a couple of years that they were not doing too well. There was a lot of debt in the club. Um, a lot of investigations, I think, on the back of it as well. I think people got into some serious trouble for that, but... Obviously, Pompey got relegated that season. Middlesbrough got relegated that season. They went down, which brings me on to the next question. Will Everton be the first Premier League team to get a points deduction but still survive? Jeff? Yes, I think so. They yeah. have momentum on their side. Daesh loves to use this as motivation. Yeah, at the moment, I think they can survive. Like, what is it? They're on four points, so that doesn't mean they're even bottom. They're 19th. 19th, um, so good run. JP, thoughts? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to agree to agree with that. I think there's three worse teams than Everton there, and with a ten point deduction, they're they're still sort of level with those three teams of Burnley, Sheffield United, and Luton. And yeah, Everton were at a point where they're starting to grind results out and and get points, and they look like they were going to be sort of fairly comfortable in terms of of staying up. Um, <clears throat> do you know, I was looking to find a point for the, to argue against against Jeff there. I think the only team that would potentially do it or would mean that Everton would get relegated is whether Sheffield United could get a run going. I can't see Luton or, or Burnley particularly doing that or whether Bournemouth all of a sudden fall off. But I think over the last few weeks they've shown that you know they're they're better than the three newly promoted teams, so yeah, hard to argue against that, really. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I agree with both of you on this. So I wish I could argue against it, but Everton, they've got what seven points in their last three games, so they've they've picked up a bit of momentum, as you mentioned, Jeff. They are looking good or better than they were. Um, but I don't even think it's how good Everton are. I think it's the the three teams that are worse than them will eventually go down. Sheffield United, I agree, are probably the best bet to be the ones that would possibly survive out of those three. I think for Luton or Burnley to string some results together would... It, it hasn't looked likely so far. Um, whereas I think Everton, you know, they're, they're not even bottom after that points deduction and we're, what, 12 games in. So I don't really see it being the difference between them staying up and down at this point. Yeah, and looking at some of those goal differences, you've got Burnley on a minus 21 goal difference and Sheffield United is on minus 21 and you've got Everton on minus three. It's like, so those two, I mean, Luton's minus 12, but I mean, they're all shipping in goals, aren't they, compared to Everton, which is never a good, never a good thing. Yeah, shipping them in and not scoring many as well, which is, you know, without sounding too harsh, the reason they're at the foot of the table, you know, it's... Yep. The well-known adage, goals win matches, and uh, obviously conceding them cause you to lose them. So, yeah, it's an interesting situation. We'll see how it unfolds. Um, there have been clubs that have obviously contested points and financial uh, fines and whatnot previously and had them overturned. So this is not necessarily over, but it's definitely a space to watch with other teams being brought up in the same sort of issues. So we will have to see how this all plays out over the coming, well, I would say weeks and months, but I suspect this is going to be an ongoing thing for years, um, much like the Man City one has been. Mm. Uh, so what's been happening outside of Everton? Well, obviously, we have an international break. Um, more importantly, it's over, which I think we're all very happy about. Uh, a bit of a dead rubber, obviously, on the England side of things, but there were two games played. Um, Malta and North Macedonia. Any quick thoughts or comments on those? Uh, I, mean, I no. think um, out of all of us, I think I've watched the most, uh, which was 50 minutes of the England-North Macedonia <laughs> game. And after 50 minutes, I got bored. So I switched it over time a celebrity get me out of here. <laughs> um, I think that's probably fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't great performance. Um, I think the one player that did stand out actually out of all of that was Rico Lewis. Um, I think despite he obviously got the penalty given against him, which I think was absolutely ridiculous, um, he was 
really, really good in there, actually. And Southgate decides to play him left back, so not even in his usual right back position. And But he did give him the license to sort of roam around in that midfield area that he does for Man City. And he looked really, really good. So, um, but apart from that, it was really, really poor, lethargic, uh, really slow. So nothing really to get too excited about. What I would say is Maguire, I don't know. He, every time he got the ball, he was slowing the, slowing the play up. And it just four or five touches every time wasn't picking out the passes. Um, so for me, if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't think England are going to be winning anything with him in defence. I mean, it might just be because it's, um, you know, nothing to play for. But based on those performances, I thought he was shocking. Yeah, I mean, we've all uh, had our opinion. Oh it's kind of strange. He's been playing a few games for United and seemingly picked up a bit of form and then suddenly goes back to the as you say, the stop-start, the slow play, um, just generally looking, I don't know if it's a player short of confidence again or if it's just a player short of talent. And I, I don't think it's the latter because he's, you know, he's clearly not a but Yeah, the mistakes, the slow playing out and stuff like that, it's it's not what we need. Um, it's interesting. Um, away from England in our group, the game that we were hyping up last week, which was, you know, the decider for second spot in the in the group, Ukraine versus Italy. Um, no, no, absolute bore fest. But <laughs> once again, marred by controversy. Um, Jeff, in a nutshell, how much do you regret even thinking about that game, let alone spending any time analysing or uh, or reviewing it? <laughs> A lot of time, yeah. The Madrid in the 92nd minute uh, appeared to get uh, assaulted in the, in the final minute there, so thus causing um, a, a penalty appeal, which was dismissed by uh, what's his name on my sheet here? I cannot read my own writing. Um, which, yeah, caused yeah Ukraine not to qualify Italy to go through on a nil-nil. But yeah, it seemed to be mardent and huge controversy both ways, which way you cut it. Um, I don't know, Chaps, what did you what did you make of it? I mean, it's an interesting one. When you've got a, a game as important as that for Ukraine to have to qualify, and it didn't seem like it really got going too much until obviously the, the final few minutes. But once again, the talking point is, you know, dodgy refereeing decisions. Ultimately, it's, it's cost Ukraine a spot, arguably, in the Euros, and it means that the current holders are through by the skin of their teeth. Um, I think when we spoke about this last time, there was the idea that not having Italy there would be a shame. Um, but on the other hand, you need to deserve your spot. So, yeah, I think it's to be that they have been... Yeah, so sorry. Like in in fact, like Balotelli has come out and said Ukraine should feel upset. He just he agrees that you know Italy shouldn't have got that from uh, Roma's Cristante. That's it. I can read my writing again. It's easy when it's typed up on a on a phone. Yeah, no, I mean the the other side of it, I guess, is that okay, we're going to have Italy in the finals, and 
whatnot. But I don't think they have put together any performances as of late that shows they're going to be any real threat. They might drag themselves through and have a good Euros, but they missed out on the World Cup. They nearly missed out on the Euros. I think they're just going to be uh, there to make up the numbers if they carry on at this sort of rate. So, yeah, I, I feel for Ukraine more than anything. JP, any any more insight or have we absolutely beat this one to death? Because yeah, it's, it a, it's, a, it's a tough one to analyse with a, with a nil-nil. It's, you, before it started, I actually put that game on notification because I wanted to know what was going on. Cause it, you know, they're both on 13 points. And it's it's set up for a, a cracker, really, in terms of both teams should be going at it. You know, qualifications on the line and get to the end of the game. I'm like, oh, still nil nil, no notifications come through on my phone. Um, and then obviously you go on social media and there's controversy around the decision in the final minute. I had a few looks through, nothing too detailed, but... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I think the the overall disappointment is just the, I guess, the overall the overall game just didn't seem like it got going really. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I actually thought my notifications weren't working properly until I actually checked <laughs> it was still no no. So I'm glad yeah. I wasn't the only one who was uh, gearing up for what was going to be a good game and wasn't. Um, but speaking of big final games, there was actually a Scotland versus Norway three three draw, which has now confirmed that Norway will not be part of the Euros at all. Which wow, yeah. you know, I, I think we knew, but it also, you know, you, you've got a three-three and effectively a dead rubber, and then you've got uh, a no-no and everything's played for. So football's a funny old sport, isn't it? That's why we love it, um, and we love it at all levels. Which is why this week, I think we're going to do a little talk about League Two. Do you see those transition boys? You know, it's like like having Pirlo in the midfield just spraying the passes. You know. <laughs> Um, so, obviously, uh, our listeners out there will know that we speak a lot about the Premier League and the uh, the top level sort of footballing clubs and countries uh, and players. We thought we'd dedicate a bit of time to League Two this week, um, with it being international break, but also because very interesting league. There's a lot of competition. Obviously, those that you know finish top or, or survive continue to be in the professional leagues. Those that do end up going down actually fall out of the national leagues. Um, or out of the, uh, the professional league, should I say, and into the national league. So, at the moment, um, we've got obviously the 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 usual sort of seventeen, eighteen games played. Um, things are very tight at the top. There's you know a few teams at the bottom that are struggling, um, and then in the middle, you've got everyone sort of bunching up into their little groups and whatnot. Big talking points for teams um, probably wreck them. Um, we can start with them. Obviously, um, Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds have put a load of money into the team uh, a few seasons back. They are growing the club and the team to a uh, effectively what they, they once were and what the locals and the supporters feel that they probably always should have been. Um, I don't think at the beginning of the season that Wrexham expected this league to be quite as tricky as it was and maybe took it slightly for granted but then put together a few good games and results flew up the table and are currently sitting fourth um it's interesting they've obviously been promoted last season um cracking into the season as well with uh, the uh, the final 
well, one of the final games of the season against, I believe it was Notts County when they were, the penalty was conceded very, 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 very late in the game and then Foster saved it and ultimately earned them the automatic promotion spot. Um, so that's how ended up here. Notts County did also come up themselves, I believe, um, and are currently sitting third. So you've actually got both of the promoted teams following on on that form. Um, in terms of Wrexham, JP, do you think they will continue with this momentum and, and stay at the top of the table? Do you think they'll drop off? I think so. I think coming into the league, they were they were still sort of regarded, I think, as one of the favourites to, I guess, either win or get automatic promotion. So I think when they're sort of in the league below League 2, people are sort of saying it's essentially a championship league one squad due to the sort of the money they had i know sort of their managers is ex sunderland phil parkinson when we we're in league one so um they've got a good manager uh for the sort of the lower leagues of the efl um you've got players in there like james mclean um who's you know he's had good premier league championship experience within his career so i think their striker uh i forgot what Name, uh, Paul Mullen, or that's the one, Paul Mullen. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, they've they've got quite a few good players. Um, their top scorer is actually Elliot Lee, I believe, which I didn't expect because everyone obviously is well, anyone who's following Welcome to Rexham knows about Paul Mullen and uh, Ollie Palmer. So, yeah, yeah, and so they've got some good, some good strikes in there. So, yeah, I mean, I fully expect them to still be up near the top to be honest i mean i'm not sure if jeff if you agree with that i know you're sort of a little bit close to the to this kind of stuff well actually i was also going to segue this in because in uh in b2 is jeff's beloved swindon <laughs> so obviously thoughts on Wrexham first but then maybe get some thoughts on swindon and also the fact that there is a swindon town player who's currently on 13 goals in the league this season uh, sitting second in the uh, the goal scoring table. So, Jeff, thoughts on Wrexham, but then maybe a couple of thoughts on Swindon and the prospects for them. Yes, yeah, so, <clears throat> the salted caramel is really nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, Swindon are on a demolition derby downhill, losing four out of the last five. They just seem to crumble in the final 20, 25 minutes of every game from a winning position. And it's not just recently, it's quite thematic for half the season now that they've crumbled like that, whether it, if if it was against, um, I'm trying to recall, yeah, it was Notts County, in fact, where they were in a winning position and lost, I believe it was something like 3-2. Yeah, you're right, they do have a good goal-scoring record. Um, I believe it's with Charlie Austin. I might be wrong on that one. But he, he's definitely... I guess reiterated how well they can do when they get their mind together. Um, but yeah, they, I don't know what's the remedy there. They're going to need to dip into the transfer window in Jan um, because, yeah, lost again to Exeter yesterday, drew against Harrogate on uh, Saturday. And then, yeah, I think you mentioned it off the pod, John, that, you know, again, winning position against Stockport and then conceded three in the final 20. So yeah, it's it's a tough one. 
you mentioned it being a thematic issue. Do you think it's um, a fitness thing or a focus thing? Fitness thing, I think. Yeah, it's one that could be easily remedied with obviously a lot of like, you know, focus on on getting the fitness levels up. But you're right, it's more of a you need to spend the transfer window arguably to get into a position where you've got maybe more players. Um, so you're not arguably, you know, using the same 11, you know, 13, 14, whatever it is, players and, and seeing them burn out quite a lot and not have the right level of fitness. But also building up that fitness takes a bit of time itself. That's what the preseason time period is effectively for. When you're you know, nearly 20 games into the season, you don't want your teams to be flopping after 70 minutes and struggling to, to see a game out. There's yeah, they've, they've, they've had some, they've had some like off the field stuff going on with extra debt, which the chair had to kind of raise more funds do an extra debenture at the start of the season and it's just from old bad structuring of the club you know back in the early 2000s so that probably has contributed to the lack of uh, I guess depth in the team and then they've also got a lot of players on loan which means there could be a lot of movement in Jan and yeah Jake Young is there so top goal scorer I think I was thinking of that one but yeah Charlie Austin's maybe the more well known renowned correct so yeah, yeah. it could just be another mid-table one for, for another season. Um, obviously, Wrexham, as you mentioned, are doing quite well, and in fact, they they're turning that race course that they've got into a bit of a fortress. And Stockport, um, it seems like any northern team seems to be doing well. Yeah, it's um, it is interesting, isn't it? Because you've got the the distribution of wealth, I guess, is so heavily geared towards the south generally. But then you've got a lot of money that goes up into the northern part of the UK from a footballing perspective. You've also got a lot of the talent that does sit up there from a Premier League perspective, especially. But having looked through the table, we've got you know, Stockport, Mansfield, Notts County, uh, Wrexham aren't quite northern, but they they are they are in Wales. So you know, it's it's not the south of England. Um, it's yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, you mentioned obviously Swindon sitting mid-table. I think if it's a, a more transitional season for Swindon and they can just sort of have an an okay or an average season and push on next next year, then great. But it's when you start getting stuck in those rounds and stagnating that it becomes a concern because then you can a few places year on year and end up actually fighting relegation out of the league itself and that's not a good position to be in as the likes of Wrexham and you know Hartlepool and other quite well-known and established clubs have seen over the years you go down it's very hard to come up um, the the conference is a very very tough league on par with the likes of the championship in terms of actually winning um, promotion and actually sort of you know, just all the teams are very capable, I think, or most of the teams are very capable. So it's a, it's a very tricky one. Um, one other team, I guess, to note from League Two that having a, a quite a good season is Mansfield. Um, they're actually sitting second in the league, but they are undefeated after 17 matches. Uh, they are one of only two teams in the top four English leagues that are unbeaten. Um, the other one, Jeff, I'll pass to you. Is our beloved 
You have to correct me on this one. Or frog it's our beloved city. It's our beloved city. Oh, Portsmouth. Yes. It's Pompey. Pompey sitting top of League One um, with 10 wins and 6 draws, but no losses. Whereas Mansfield, Mansfield sorry, are, uh, are sat there with 9 wins and 8 draws and no losses. So, yeah. We'll see who's the, uh, the unbeaten um, team by the Portsmouth get back up to the Championship. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking off the pod about this, and yeah, we're, we're slightly veering into the the League One discussion here. But there are nearly two handfuls of teams, I think, in League One that are former Premier League teams, and it's quite sad to see them sort of struggling down there in some cases. But you know, it would be great. You've got Portsmouth and Bolton in the top three. Um, you've got Barnsley, Derby County, Blackpool, uh, Charlton, then down near the bottom you've got Wigan and then obviously you've got Reading who had a points deduction which obviously fits the theme of the week unfortunately mm-hmm. um, it's it's another interesting one isn't it because you've got a lot of teams in those well not just in League 1 and League 2 even in the Championship who have real financial problems because of the way that the pyramid of it all sort of works and uh, you sort of think You've got the likes of City, Chelsea, United able to spend all this money, everything getting docked points for spending this money. I and mean, then you've got teams that are getting put into administration and having points docked because they don't have money. So mm-hmm. there's got to be a happy middle ground here somewhere. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I just think we're, we're yet to find that. Um, I guess sort of taking it back to um, League Two and another team that's fairly close to Jeff at the moment is Sutton United, who are bottom of League Two <laughs> on 12 points. What do you make of that one, Jeff? <laughs> oh, very well deserved, yeah. Congratulations to them. Um, and Forest Green, for in fact, they're one of Swindon's rivals, also in relegation. And their owner, I think, is, what was it? A very well-known vegan. So, yeah, you can enjoy your, your spirulina sprinkles down the bottom of League Two. <laughs> You're right. The founder of Ecotricity. Um... British energy company specialising in selling green energy. Dale Vince, his name is. Um, interesting, it's Forest Green Rovers and you've got uh, someone who's very, you know, pro-environment. I wonder if that's just by chance that the person is a very green person and owns Forest Green or if it was an aptly made naming or choice of uh, club. I guess we'll never know. Well... If any of our listeners ever talk to Dale Vince, maybe that's a question for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if any of you do get a chance, I don't know if any of you all know what he looks like, but yeah, it would be very good to know. Come with the green hair. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of rolls us on to Pine of Pine. Um, we'll jump straight in. JP? Who's your pint and who's your pie this week? So my pint this week, I'm going to go for a two cents footy podcast first. I'm going to give mine to Lauren James in the Women's Super League, who got a hat-trick against Liverpool uh, last week and is normally sort of touted as going to be probably the best player in the world in terms of the women's game. So it looks like she had a good weekend. So I'm going to give her my pint this week. In terms of my pie... Again, another tricky one. Probably, I mean, could quite easily give it to to VAR and stuff like that. I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna give mine to Gareth Southgate 
it was a poor two performances for for England, and with that team, we need to be doing better against Malta and North Macedonia. Despite nothing really to play for, need to get more out of those games. So mine's going to Gareth, unfortunately. So they're my two. I hope he doesn't get any of that. Yeah, I hope he doesn't get any of that pie down his waistcoat because. Uh, <laughs> yeah, needs to go down his... to the dry cleaners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you're right as well. If his uh, if his eating of a pie is as messy as his team selection and his um, his sort of tactics over the last two games, then he's going to be definitely in a trip to the dry cleaners. So, two very good choices. You mentioned Lauren James as well. Um, obviously, the sister of Bruce James. Um, he came out, I think it was uh, within the last year or two, and basically said that she's better than a lot of players that are in the men's Premier League. And I think it sort of, you know, caused a bit of uh, a, few, a few heads sort of turn and, and sort of acknowledged the comment. Um, she's, she's obviously a very good footballer. Uh, she had a very good World Cup for England, uh, World Cup Euro. World Cup, wasn't it? World Cup, yeah. Um, until obviously getting sent off. Um I think it would have been interesting to see if she hadn't been suspended for a few games, if that would have changed the performance in the final, where obviously we weren't quite up to speed and ended up losing to Spain. Um, only 1-0 as well, so who knows what could have been. But no, two very good choices. Um, FA, pint and pie. Yeah, I'm going to be controversial. You can obviously change this, but uh, yeah, it's going to be run based upon rugby. So. Oh! <laughs> Another first. <laughs> It's a it's a pint yeah. to actually take into the uh, into the stadium itself, and I have to drink it in the forecourt before you get through to the seats. That's right. Um, pint to own Farrell. You drink to the seats. Yeah. Pint to own <laughs> Farrell was that. Pint to own Farrell. Yeah, he can take that to his seat. In fact, he said he was having a beer afterwards. Just supreme leadership against Harlequins last weekend. Um, yeah, this is controversial. Me even saying it, so I'm not going to elaborate. And uh, the pie is going to go to Harlequins for losing that very same aforementioned match. And they'll get a very expensive venison pie. It's in Twickenham. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't want to spend much more on rugby, but I think giving the national break is that boring. <laughs> Switch no, out. I, think I think that's completely fair enough. Um, I like that you switched out with another sport because I'm actually going to go completely people wouldn't claim to be a sport I'm actually going to give my pie to someone in the chess world yeah you're always looking at me very stunned right now um, I'm not sure if you guys know about this about a year ago there was some uh, there was some accusations of a, a chess player cheating by inserting a certain object into uh, an orifice and using that to pick his moves and since then I think it's become quite uh, prevalent in the uh, in the chess world of People cheating and, and accusations <laughs> being thrown around. Yeah, Jeff, you look absolutely mortified by this. Trust me. Yeah, you know it's 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 not a great thing to be accused of or to be accusing someone of. I'm sure. Um, but there's been another one recently, and I think it's just showing. You know, but yeah, we we talk about it in England where you've got this, you've got this uh, this this distribution, I guess, of, of all this wealth that really like tips and skews things. You've got a distribution of talent as well, um, and when people are going at each other about you know, particular um, accusations and, and, you know, claims. It's just not pretty without backup. I think it actually looks quite sad. So it's, um, I'm, I'm going to controversially maybe um, give it to, I believe it's Vladimir. 
Franlich, his name is, who accused one of the top players in the world of being a cheater. Um, just, yeah, why not? Because um, that's what the international break does to us. We end up watching <laughs> and listening to rugby and chess instead. Um, from a pint perspective, um, I will keep it to football on that side. I'm going to give it to, in controversy, I, I'm going to give it to Mbappe. Um, you know, the mighty Gibraltar, you know, we all thought they were going to absolutely overturn France and sadly they lost 14-0. But as part of that, Mbappe did score three and assisted two or three, I think it was. Um, if it was any other player and any other team, you would say, well, what a performance. But, you know, we hold players of that quality to a different different level. Um, but why not? It's... Yeah, I mean, if it was England, we would have only beat them one nil, <laughs> if not got a draw. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. There was an interesting piece of footage I saw though, where it had um, Didier Deschamps talking at half time, and I think by that point France was seven nil up or something, and he said it's a really excellent first half performance, but let's push on and carry on with that and try and break the record. And it just sort of shows that it's a team with a winning mentality and are really going for the jugular. Um, definitely ones to watch on the Euros, I think. Um, I'd be surprised if they don't win it. Um, don't know, chaps. What are you... Without Jeff exploding at the idea of France being successful uh, once more, um, who, who could stop them? That's going to be the question. Um, in terms of... Yeah, I think going in, they are going to be favourites. I think you've pretty much nailed it in terms of they've got that winning mentality. Um, that's the difference between them and England at the moment, I think. is I think, I think England have the more talented squad than France in, in general. But they're almost a bit like Real Madrid in terms of they've just got something in their water that means they can pull out those world-class performances or pull out those results. Um, so in terms of someone stopping them, I mean, England are more than capable than stopping them. I mean, there's, in terms of other European teams, I don't think there's many on our on our two levels in terms of talented squads. I guess the only other team that you could maybe mention because they've had a really good qualification is is Portugal, but they've had a really easy qualification and you know still rely on Ronaldo to you know score a couple penalties and stuff. So um, I'm not even convinced by them, but yeah, I I would agree they're they're favourites for me. Interesting, Jeff. Any other teams? Yeah, they're going to get annihilated 14-0 by England. That's for sure. Um, it's going to happen. It will happen. In fact, it's already happening in my head. I've asked ChatGPT <laughs> and it agrees with me. <laughs> what happened last time will never happen again. Is this... Um, it must be quite tricky for you to say that as such a Francophile, you know, and, and your deep-rooted love of France after they so valiantly defeated us. Um, yeah, deep, deep breaths indeed. Deep breath indeed. We need um, an hour of breath work between the Chew and Mini and Giroud of the world, but 
Yeah, Giroud's, I was, was it, listening that he's the top goal scorer for France across, yeah, outright, isn't he? Not Thierry Henry. No, no. In in the history of forever, it's yeah. Olivier, I should have been a model Giroud. Um, and his very beautiful face that has managed to uh, top the list. You think of all the great strikers and goal scorers that France have had over the years, and it's kind of shocking. But then Giroud, I think, is a player that's been probably quite underrated most of his career, considering some of the achievements and accolades that he's got. I think when they won the um, the Euros, I think it was a couple of years back, um, the Euros of the World Cup, whichever one it was they won, um, he didn't score the whole tournament. And he was playing every game. I think it was, I think it was 2018. Um, and I'm, I'm just fact-checking this now because I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, it was the 2018 World Cup, I believe, when they won it. Of course, because Italy won the 2020 Euros, yeah. So they won the World Cup. I don't think Giro actually picked up a goal the whole tournament, but was obviously a key part of that French squad. Um, and you just sort of think, like, if that's what someone's measured on, then great. But then, you know, Emil Heskey is a good example of someone who didn't score many for England but played every week. Um, not saying yeah. that he's, you know, world class or anything, but someone obviously brings something a bit different to the team and it obviously worked for them in that way. So, but you know, he's been very successful with the goals for France. Um, I think he scored just before the international break for AC Milan and also got sent off. So, you know, when he's not scoring goals or saving goals, because he also played in goal recently as well, he's getting sent off. You know, he's a man of many talents. <laughs> Crazy. So 37, you know. Yeah. That many talents, that record. You know, that's suave, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's envious. Surely, surely Mbappe is going to break that record, though. Yeah, I think what's Mbappé on? Is he on 40-something? And I think Giroud's like 50... I wonder if I'd say 56 or 51 or something like that. So you're right, it's 56, then it's Henri on 51, and then it's Mbappé on 46. Oh, this isn't even a question. Like, Mbappé's going to break this within the next couple of years. Yeah, he'll do it in the return leg against Gibraltar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, it's... It's interesting. I didn't realize Henri had put quite as many goals for France as um, what he had as well. I didn't. Yeah, I, I was thinking it would be someone like um, Juste Fontaine, who got the 13 goals in one World Cup many, many years ago. But um, no, it's, it's very interesting. Um, JP, did we have any listeners' questions this week? We did have one. It did include a few, um, I guess, words that we can't re- can't repeat on on the podcast. But <laughs> was it, I can. Was it Jeff that submitted it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so now let let me try and um, reword it so it's suitable for the podcast. So it is about um, England and the observation around Harry Maguire and around his performances in the last two games in particular. Um, Harry Maguire, is he is he capable of playing to the standard of the rest of the England squad? Or is it actually a tactic that Southgate is implementing within the squad? So 
Um, so, for example, when Harry Maguire gets the ball, he's taken those four or five touches. Is he being instructed to slow the play down on purpose by Southgate? Or is he just not quick enough in terms of the football brain to receive a pass and ping it off to someone like Foden, Trent, Walker, whoever's available? Because there were people available <clears throat> in the Euros, but he wasn't picking them out. So is it a is Harry Maguire capable of playing within the England squad or is it a tactical thing? Jeff, do you want to take this first or do you want me to give it a shot? Go for it, mate. Um, I'm going to firmly sit on the fence here and say I think it's probably a bit of both. I think it's probably not his forte to be spraying a Paul gold s 70-yard pass without taking a touch. I don't think he'd necessarily have that in his locker consistently. But if we were playing a brand of football, England that is, that involves uh, a lot of passes and quick movement around the back and stuff, it would be Gwehi and Dunk starting. Uh, it would be Carl Walker starting. It would be uh, Trippier starting. Um, that's your back four. Uh, you then have Trent playing in the midfield as well from a passing perspective. But if not, you go, you know, with any of those five, probably other defenders I'm missing here. Um, I do think Southgate probably wants it to be occasionally a case of take a breath, you know, find positions, find the space. And I think he's letting Guire be the one to, to do that and dictate that. Interesting. Um, I, I just, I think if a, if a player was consistently not playing those quick passes and that was what they were being told to do, they would find themselves out of the squad. And that even includes, you know, Maguire in the England squad where he's been included in it, you know, controversially, I should say, over quite a few games. But you know, I, I think there's an element of it being tactics from Southgate as opposed to it just being a lack of talent. Because, you know, he's, he's not a bad footballer. I think people give him a lot of black and he doesn't deserve it. Um, not as much as what he gets by any means. Uh, so I'm going to say it's more of a tactic, but also with a slight idea that it plays the Maguire's um, capabilities. Yeah. And Jeff? I think it's more his capability above tactics, but Southgate is using that to shield yeah, and, and frankly protect the energy levels of his midfield. So, yeah, Maguire does favour simplicity, never likes to kind of push the ball forward aerially as as we just said prefers just to be much more simple possession game sideways or kind of backwards to the fullbacks it's not really yeah I, I somehow think that is a tactic he prefers could that be that he I guess has more of a simpler type of style that maybe is the case more of a stable style um, and that could be considered less rare um, yeah, to John's point, he's not doing a, a, a skulls. So, yeah, it, it's probably just his capability, and plus he's 30 now. The speed that he has isn't going to be as what it was when he was playing for Sheffield United or Leicester during the, the kind of post-Premier League win. So, but you, it makes you just, it does make you think, approaching 31, 32, is he still the right choice? 
the dynamic choice against um, all the speedsters of France and fat of Germany as well. You look at, um, you know, Havertz, for example, um, the really, you know, quick midfield players from Bayern Munich who will get in the German side. Could that leave a leaky defence? Um, and we end up having more pain on this podcast, that's possible. So, yeah, ultimately for me, it's it's probably more his capability now. And Southgate is using that as a tactic, so one leading to the other rather than together. JP, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think I tend to agree with you, Jeff, around it's probably his capability and then Southgate's almost using it as a tactic, um, <clears throat> which then sort of gets me thinking, should Maguire even be in the centre-back pairing come the Euros um, and for me think about and, and John you kind of touched on it as well around sort of Gahey and Dunk you kind of hope by the Euros you've got a informed John Stones in there with either a Dunk or Gwehi who you know Dunk for Brighton plays those those passes and pings it around as does John Stones in, in that Man City side so you'd hope if we had a pairing like that that would then sort of feed into the that sort of midfield and attacking talent we have where they're all, you know, they're very technical players. When I think against Macedonia, we had Foden in in the central pocket trying to show you for Maguire and he wasn't he wasn't quick enough to pick him out kind of thing. So um yeah, it'd be quite interesting to see what happens. But yeah, I tend to agree with agree with your points. It it probably is a capability thing and a probably a mixture of both. Um but yeah. It's an interesting, interesting question. Yeah, I think seven or so months from now, we'll have our answer about obviously who's in the starting lineup and who's in the squad for the final, uh, final tournament itself. But it will be interesting to see if Maguire is in there ahead of, you know, John Stones plus one other of, you know, obviously this is, you know, injury dependent and form dependent and whatnot. But it will be very interesting to see. Um, my chaps. Is that it from us this week? I think so, yep. Right, well, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, and as always, listeners, please send in your questions, your comments. Um, obviously, listen and read any and all of them that we do get. Um, from me, it's goodbye. JP, Jeff, it's been a pleasure. Good to see you as always. Good to see you. Send some lemsip. Thank you. <laughs> get well soon, boys.